Hello and welcome to the second episode of Starts at the Top, our brand new podcast about leadership, digital culture and change. I'm Paul Thomas. And I'm Zoe Ammer. And over the next five weeks, we'll be bringing you interviews with leaders from the public, private and third sector who are using digital to navigate uncertainty and forge a path to the future. We want to say a big thank you to everyone who listened last week, our very first episode, especially those who've shared some really lovely comments and who've subscribed. So thank you so much for that. And please continue to leave your reviews. We're on iTunes. We're hoping to be on Spotify very, very shortly. And a request to my mother, who said that she did listen to the episode whilst making a jigsaw and said it was very good for jigsaw making. So if she could add that to iTunes, um, that would be be fantastic. This week, we'll be sharing our discussion with Dr. Anne-Maria Maffedon, MBE, who, among other responsibilities, is head STEMET at STEMET, who you can find at stemet.org. Our conversation was quite far-reaching, covering the role that STEMETS plays in inspiring young women into science, technology, engineering and maths careers, Anne-Marie's thoughts on BAME women in STEM and leadership more generally, and equality in technology development. We spoke to Anne-Marie in late May, so before the events that took place in the United States and the Black Lives Matter movement. We're even including our first podcast extra at the end of the episode, when I asked Anne-Marie to share some lockdown book and TV recommendations with us. Stay tuned, really worth a listen. Zoe, there were some things we wanted to raise this week. Yeah, so there were a couple of things which caught my eye following Simon Blake's interview last week about mental health. And both the things that I spotted really seemed to follow up from some of his his themes about leaders being open about the the challenges they're facing in order to model behaviour they would like to see on with, with the teams that they manage. And I was particularly struck by an excellent interview with Sadiq Khan, Mayor of London, in the Sunday Times magazine, where what I thought was was really striking uh, was he was incredibly open about how he had found lockdown and all the challenges that had gone with it in his role, uh, how he had found that really quite a struggle. And I I thought it was very refreshing to to hear a leader opening up that way. So I just wanted to read a couple of very, very short quotes uh, from the article, because I genuinely think what he said was really inspiring. So he was asked if lockdown had affected his mental health. And he said, I've got no doubt it did in the sense of just feeling a bit down. There are days when I'm not providing proper leadership. I definitely, I felt fragile. And he talked about how he's very used to dealing with stressful situations in his job and how he was previously a lawyer and he dealt with very stressful situations then. And he says, I can deal with stress. I can compartmentalise to get through things. But the past 10, 11 weeks have been the hardest of my professional life in relation to the loneliness. Because being a leader is lonely and I've struggled. I also realised I should feel confident talking about it. I shouldn't feel that I've got to be this alpha male who demonstrates his virility by being superhuman. I've got to be honest because, you know, I have struggled. And I thought it was so incredibly moving and inspiring to see a leader, particularly a a male leader, opening up about their mental health struggles in that way and being very open about the fact that they've had good days and bad days and that they have found lockdown a, a really uniquely challenging situation. And the second thing that I spotted, which echoes some really similar themes in that interview with Sadiq Khan, was a fantastic interview the the latest one actually uh, from Elizabeth Day on her fantastic podcast How to Fail and she interviewed the writer Matthew Saeed who has written a fantastic book about diversity which is is really interesting and in the podcast he talks about empathy and kindness and about the 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 value of kindness and why economists don't really talk about it that much how it's sometimes seen as a slightly intangible thing but actually he'd been involved in a study which showed that leaders who who were kind people who were kind uh, had gone on to achieve some success in their life 
Uh, and he talks a lot about the, the value of, of empathy and a diversity as well. And both of these things in, in totality, uh, Saeed's interview and then also this interview with uh, Sadiq Khan as well, really got me thinking about whether one of the silver linings that, that may come, come out of the horrendous situation that is the pandemic is whether we're going to start seeing the end of alpha male leadership. It's an interesting, it's an interesting subject. And I think there was one um, partner in my time at Grant Thornton who wrote a blog post. We had a, a social platform and he wrote a, a blog post about his own struggles with mental health. The post went viral around the organisation. It was actually, I'd probably credit that post with giving that platform within the organisation validity. Uh, that suddenly here was uh, one of our partners going out and talking about a subject that nobody talks about. And the response was was just, just incredible uh, across the entire organisation. I think actually... It was the most replied to thread ever on the social internet. So I, you know, I think it's probably true that this this pandemic has brought that to the fore. And I would I would hope I would be optimistic and say that I think that was probably a shift that was was coming anyway. And if it wasn't coming anyway, then it's long overdue. And clearly, we can all find examples of of male leaders who are still very alpha. We don't need to look too far for that. But I think it's it's encouraging, as you say. I think it is an encouraging sign and the fact that we're talking about it and I hope there are other conversations going on out there about leadership and and, and gender and people's preconceptions of it hopefully means that some of the, the traditional notions of what a leader looks like and how they behave are beginning to shift. Maybe that's one of the disruptions that we'll see coming out of COVID-19. So that discussion leads nicely, very nicely indeed, into our interview today. So without further ado, here's our interview with Anne-Maria Maffedon. Well, we are delighted to welcome to the podcast today uh, the fantastic Anne-Marie Imaphidon. Um, Imaphidon has just one hell of a CV and I'm so delighted that she's joining us here today. Uh, she's a keynote speaker. She's, the, uh, she's also the co-founder of STEMETS, an award-winning social enterprise who are really inspiring the next generation of females into STEM. Um, and I'm particularly interested to hear more about this from the perspective of someone who's, who's got a little girl. Uh, she was the youngest girl ever to pass A-level computing um, and she was one of the youngest ever to be awarded a master's degree in mathematics and computer science by Oxford University, aged just 20. Since then she's gone on to some amazing incredible achievements. Uh, so she was awarded an MBE in the 2017 New Year's Honours uh, for services to young women and the STEM sector. Uh, that same year she also became an honour Honorary Fellow at Keeble College, Oxford. And in 2019, she was voted the second most influential woman in tech in the UK by Computer Weekly. Uh, you've probably heard of her from her fantastic uh, work in the media and also as a presenter. And she also hosts the highly popular Women Tech Charge podcast and has the enormous microphone there to prove it, which um, looks, looks wonderful and uh, will be beaming to us live from that today. Day, which is super exciting. Uh, she also featured in the 2019 Royal Institute Christmas Lectures. She's interviewed some of the most famous faces in tech and she's also got a wealth of experience in other sectors including working with Goldman Sachs, Hewlett Packard and Deutsche Bank as well. Finally, she's also a trustee at the Institute for the Future of Work, and she's spoken at some of the biggest digital conferences across the globe. Anne-Marie, thank you so much for joining us today. Need to take a breath after all of that. <laughs> you do literally have one hell of a CV. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, that, that took about 20 minutes. Yeah, it did. <laughs> Podcast done. Thanks, everyone, for listening. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for having Brilliant. me. I'm looking <laughs> Good. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, building on that, you've obviously had this phenomenal trailblazing career in tech. And I know there was a moment at which that, that journey began. So I was wondering if you could take us back to that moment when you had that epiphany of this is what I'm going to do. 
So I think for me, um, technology has always been something I'm interested in. I've always been a quite a logical person, I've always been very creative, love building databases and all the kind of stuff that um, you would as a 10 year old, if your name was Amory. Um, and I loved it so much and didn't realize that it was a job, but it was a career um, or something I could be paid for until I was about 16 when I did a um, like a summer internship at Deutsche Bank, actually, funnily enough, in the technology department. Um, and they put me in a team and I thought, this is crazy. You know, I'm being paid to sit here and play on the computers all day. I would have done this for free. Um, how amazing is that? that? There's hundreds of people in this building and thousands of people across the country who are being paid to build databases and do things that I genuinely enjoy just doing because I like making stuff. Um, so for me, that was probably... Um, the time that it clicked, that I had that full awareness that this is something I could do as a job with the gainful employment um, and pay for food and pay for all the other things in my life that I like to spend money on. Amazing. Wow. So that that real moment of, wow, this could be something that um, I could really make a career out of. Yeah, something I can do as a job, which I think up until that point, even if I might have known theoretically it was something that you could do, I'd never met anyone that did that really. I'd never seen myself in that kind of space. Um, but also being at Deutsche Bank, you're paid quite well. So I'd never, I'd never actually had that much money in my bank account as well. So it was kind of a, a win-win. I can be paid a fair amount of money to, to do something that I would literally do for free. Um, so drawing on, on that experience, uh, so your work with STEMETS is, is helping get more girls into STEM. Um, and I'm so interested to ask you this question, obviously, with, as the mother of a, a seven-year-old girl. Uh, what do you see as the main barriers to helping girls engage with STEM? And, and do you think the pandemic is going to change that? Oh, I don't know if the pandemic's going to change it. Um, so I think for me, the or from, from where I'm sat, the main barrier is this um, social norm that we have around technical women um, where it's just not something that young girls can see. It's not something that older girls can see. It's not something that boys can see. It's not something that women get to see. It's not something that men get to see. It's not something we see across the news or in movies or in TV or represented in culture. And so it ends up being this um, frustrating stereotype that permeates the decisions that we make as young people, as young girls. It permeates the the hiring decisions that are made across the industry. It's you know something that we have set across tech culture where it's kind of it's not the norm. If you're gosh, you're a woman in tech, how crazy is that? You know, I can't can't believe there's a woman here. Or women don't like doing this kind of thing, do they? Um, and so it ends up um, being this kind of vicious cycle or this norm, I guess, that, that ends up meaning that teachers are able to say that at the beginning of term or peers are able to say that to others. Um, and so it means that um, your seven-year-old, you know, without um, much work, your seven-year-old is kind of slowly being conditioned to think that it's mm. not something that she would do, could do, should be doing or would enjoy doing. Um, and so I, I'm not sure really, I, I, it would be nice to say the pandemic would change that. But I think the fact that we, for such a long period of time, have been at home more and things have been more occluded um, and media really doesn't represent that story as much as it should do, means that this time that we might have spent you know, more of our time watching TV or on Netflix or whatever, we've not been able to feed many of those messages into lots of people to see that this is what a technical woman looks like um so yes I'm not sure actually the pandemic I'm 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 ever so slightly worried actually that the pandemic might make things ever so slightly worse um there's lots of stats we've seen around um the kind of the genders that are being furloughed across different um industries uh, there's lots actually around the drop off in scientific um research being filed by women as well that we've seen since the pandemic began um so I'm 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 actually worried the pandemic might have kind of sent things in the opposite direction and the the other thing of course that there's kind of lots of murmurs around is that DNI that diversity and inclusion spend across the industry that's falling lower and lower down the list of priorities as kind of panic stations take over um so it's possible the pandemic might put us back um actually however um, I guess these kind of big life moments often lead to kind of the roaring 20s so we'll see maybe it can be the roaring 2020s for women 
in tech? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you, I, I, I do share those those concerns. I mean, it, there was an article in the, the Times yesterday about um, this almost this revival of traditional gender roles mm-hmm. and, you know, with everyone being at home, women having taking on some more of the the, the traditional kind of caring and, and domestic load mm. um so you're right just trying to take opportunities to 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 challenge that whenever we can uh and and to show there's there's different opportunities that are available to everyone i think that's absolutely key i, me- I remember a friend of mine actually tweeted earlier on um just before lockdown was in, well, actually just as the lockdown was being announced, that her engineering firm and, and email had gone round saying, um, kind of just assuming that the men could carry on working from home, whereas their wives would be the ones that would end up looking after the children. With her thinking, hang on, I work here too. <laughs> you know, but I'm not the husband. <laughs> I'm, I'm the wife. And yes, I do have a child at home, but actually I also need to be working on these projects to have these buildings built or, you know, whatever it is that she does um, at work. So we'll see. I think we have to be intentional. if We want to take advantage of this um, situation. Mm, absolutely. So, so on that point, um, thinking about my uh, my, my seven year old girl and, and indeed my nine year old boy, and, and and Paul's got uh, two boys as as well. Um, do you, is there anything you would recommend to to, to parents during this time? Because uh, as, as you say, it, it, kids are constantly being bombarded by all those cultural cultural messages about boys do this and, and girls do this. Is there anything that, that we as parents can can do to really help encourage children into STEM? Yeah, definitely. I think there's lots to do. I think um, before I go into my suggestions, I think that the number one thing is to keep the kids alive and to stay sane, which I know at this time is kind of... It's particularly hard. I don't have children myself. But... We're trying, we're trying. <laughs> it's a helpful Every time philosophy. I get on the call, yeah. <laughs> Every time I get on a call, that's all I hear. It's kind of a, yeah, we're trying, we're trying to stay sane and the kids just keep eating. Um, so I think uh, my, so my advice is uh, there are lots of books and resources out there. Uh, I think it's probably one of the nicest things actually during the pandemic has been the plethora of STEM resources. You know, we STEM have been running three events every week for the last 12 weeks of all kinds of different women. Tomorrow we've got um, a sound engineer from Abbey Road called Marta, who's going to be talking about her journey and, and all the engineering that is involved kind of in music production. We had GCHQ on last week talking about Arabic and also about cyber. We've had scientists. So um, we, that's just what we've done. Lots of other organisations have kind of stepped up to the plate and provided as much content as possible for people to follow along with. Um, we've also kind of got our book recommendations. So you've got Rosie Revere, you've got, I've got a new one, new book actually called How to Be a Maths Whiz. That's got lots, without knowing the pandemic was coming, that it's very practical maths and lots of things that you can do and try and make at home. It's kind of see maths everywhere. Um, but I think it's it's something about being conscious of what are those STEM resources that you're using and who is being represented in them? So I think, you know, Einstein is so recognisable as a face and ensuring that you have other faces that can be associated with science and with with tech and with success in tech and in, in math. So... Um, we actually, yeah, have something called STEM, STEMETS Recommends that's got a list of lots of different, st- from non-fiction to fiction books that kind of covers that, but allows even boys as well, well, including boys, to see the different women that have been ahead who have worked on GPS or who have worked at NASA or who um, have created Wi-Fi or all those kinds of great role models and stories that we can tell. Um, so yeah, that's my suggestion. But I think I think you know keeping them alive and staying sane is definitely number one. So you know if you've if you've got those basics, then definitely go ahead and and check out these resources. Oh, that sounds great. And perhaps we can link to those in the the show notes, Paul. That'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. But I was just thinking actually, I did a, a quick Google search before this, and and you're right in terms of the the sort of the drive towards Netflix and watching stuff on TV, which seems to be the way that my boys spend most of their afternoons after they've been at, at school. Um, it's driven by it's driven by the what they want to watch, which is mostly YouTube videos of people doing things with footballs. Um, but but there's the, the role models that I see in in the TV shows that I watch um, and the TV shows that are aimed at those those age groups 
and we're big superhero fans in this household and, and most of the sort of the the scientific sidekicks um are men the only one i can think of is um arrow which i think i saw a couple of seasons of and the, the main sidekick in that is is a woman but yeah they're very underrepresented in the stuff that's beamed into our houses every single day yeah, so the Gina Davis Institute did, uh, does this research all the time kind of, about kind of gender representation in the media. I think they found that one in seven, only one in seven STEM characters uh, across TV shows in Hollywood are, are female. Um, and even then, kind of a lot of it is it, it's essentially kind of a male character, but with long hair um, and kind of the female form. And that's it. There's no real kind of nuance in terms of the different ways that, that you can you know, different forms you might find a technical female. So it's definitely something to be done. I think even, especially in somewhere like the superhero space, it's often really controversial when you do then put women in those spaces, which is ironic because it's made up. So it's, you know, why are you projecting what things should be onto, I don't know whether it's a Doctor Who or any of the other kind of Marvel or, you know, there are all other good universes out there, um, kind of characters. Why do we project you know, our norms onto distant lands and kind of invented characters. Um, so there is a push, you know, Marvel and the rest are trying to do as much as they can, but there's a lot of catching up to do, I think, as well on the back catalogue. Mm. That big discussion around uh, Doctor Who was incredible, exactly. wasn't it? Incredible. Mm. James Bond will be the next one. Mm. In fact, I think they've already said with Bond, they're dropping the name Bond but keeping the agent number 007 just so that they can expand it. Yes, make sure yeah. it's not a, a white man. And that's how they're hoping that they'll do it, but there'll still be friction. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see where that one goes. Um, so actually on that point, um, we were talking earlier as well about uh, the whole diversity and inclusion agenda. Um, I mean, what do you think leaders can can do best to really create and encourage more diversity and inclusion in tech? I think leaders have to. I think it, it's interesting because in tech we've had such a such a change. So I started Stemets seven years ago, um, and the conversation has changed in seven years. Um, where there's we've almost got to kind of the lip service level now, where it, there's a lot of things you wouldn't be seen dead saying it kind of in public and I think the next stage is going to be kind of the the do as I do not necessarily just as I say um level so I think there's there's definitely a lot for leaders to do in terms of a lot of these um issues that we have are all around culture and they're around the the small interactions that happen and the little things that happen it's not necessarily around big sweeping changes although policy you know is, is one good way to drive dni um, but I think with leaders, it's just, it needs to be, you know, it, it's how you interact with, with your staff. It's who makes up your exec team. It's um, how people are paid. It's what does your gender gap look, look like? It's what does your ethnicity pay gap look like? Um, and also what are the behaviours that you tolerate within your team and within your organisation? Um, so I think kind of one of the examples, one of the, the anecdotes I always tell is a couple of years ago, I was at a kind of a large tech company and um, did kind of a talk to them about diversity in tech and um, the CIO came up to me after the talk and kind of said, you know, what do you suggest I do? And I said, yeah, you need to be listening, you know, to the women's network, to the different uh, employee networks and actually acting on what they do. And he said, okay, that's interesting. I'm the sponsor for my women's network. Um, and, you know, the, all these different things happening. Blah, 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 blah. And he, he gave an example of someone who had been working in their team and then there was an issue of sexist jokes that kept coming up at her expense. And she was the only woman in the team. And so he kind of gave, you know, told me what he did. And, and it turns out he'd moved her into a different team in the department as a result of what was happening. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. Why was it that you decided to remove her? You know, what was her manager? Where was her manager in all of this as all of this was happening in teamwork? It uh, turns out it was the manager making the jokes at her expense. And then you have to then kind of question yourself and say, okay, cool. You knew that was something that happened. You believed it enough to move her out of that team. But what, what happened to the manager? What's the discussion you have with the manager? How, how efficient or how um, competent is that manager if they're not able to value all their members of their team, despite gender or any, anything else it is that, that they might have as a part of their identity? And so I think it's that thing that leaders need to just look at what they're doing. A lot of this is in actions. Um, 
and there's a great book um, that I highly recommend for anyone in leadership that does anything you know, around data or around tech called Invisible Women by Caroline Curado Perez. Um, and it looks at this, this kind of lens that you have around your norms. And I think it, as long as you're able to kind of challenge your norms and say, actually, the norm isn't that we have husbands here who have wives at home. And so the comms that we send out, the policies that we send, that we set, you know, the idea that you can expense a hotel, but not a babysitter to attend events. You know, it's those kinds of things as a leader, you want to be changing your own behaviors, but also what are the norms around the policies that you've set in your company? You know, why is it the norm that you move someone out of the team rather than working on the issue that's in that team? Um, so yeah, so lots, lots there, lots to do, I guess, for leaders. But you know, thank you for lip service so far. Now let's have do as I do. <laughs> so really, sort of setting the tone and thinking about how those behaviours that that you role model as a leader. I mean, how that that really kind of incentivizes people to to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, and can I ask you as well, you know, speaking as, as, as a BAME woman in tech, um, I mean, what's your experience been? I mean, how have you, how have, have, have you found things? I think it's interesting. I always love this story because I've never not been a black woman. <laughs> so it'd be easier if I was like, well, when I wasn't black, this is what happened. And when I wasn't a woman, that's what they did. Um, but I think for me, it's, it's um, an interesting one because also identity is so complex. So kind of, I'm, I'm black, I'm from East London, I love Nando's, um, I'm a woman, and there's all these different things that are kind of different about me or special about me. Um, that means that if I do end up hitting a barrier or I do end up not being selected for something or I do end up having a negative experience, it actually takes me, and this is, this is a personal thing, it takes me longer to try and pick, about, pick out what part of, it, of me was it that that person didn't quite like or that that was kind of friction so was it that I was this prodigy and there was something they were expecting or is it that I'm black and they're not used to being told what to do by someone who's black or is it that I'm young and they're not used to having a young person that's an expert you know sat on a board alongside them and so for me it's always been an interesting one to try and pick apart and say actually oftentimes I'd rather spend my effort to be somewhere where I'm celebrated than to try and fight and try and prove to Felix that I, I know how to optimize the data uh, I know how to optimize the query that we're, that we're writing across this this data that, we, that we're trying to uh, process so I think for me it's always been that kind of thing of you know years later I'll look back and I'll be like yeah Felix really didn't like it because I was this young black woman from East London and he's never had to work with someone like me let alone he's never been wrong and have someone like me say the correct thing and he didn't really want to believe me because he didn't want to believe that it was something that he didn't know that I did know but again, that's with hindsight that I often use to look back. But I think it is something that, um, you know, there will be times that we don't get funding or there will be times that um, I don't get booked for events or there will be times that um, my kind of expertise is queried. Um, and personally, my thing is, well, look, you've asked me to be in this room. <laughs> you know, I didn't employ myself. I didn't add myself to this board. I mean, I did for Stamets, but that's different. Um, you know, it, you either want to listen or you don't. And ultimately, I'm not going to spend my whole time trying to, you know, be listened to. If you, if you don't want to hear, then there are lots of other people that want to hear what I'm, I'm saying and want to listen to, to what's going on. So I'd rather spend my time there than try and unpick well you don't like women and so we're going to change this because you don't like women um you know I'd rather go and work in the other team or be in the other place mm. yeah and that, that's such a um brilliant shift in mindset isn't it because um I, I know exactly what that really sort of resonates with my experience as 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 well at some point you've you, you've just got to start thinking well you know I have as much right to be here as anyone else there are lots of things that I can bring to the table and I'd rather invest my time in in people who who value what I can do and what I can offer rather than do I have a right to be here in the first place mm-hmm. but I do appreciate that I've there's there's elements of privilege that I have that mean that that's something that I've been able to do more actually I'm able to do it more now than maybe you know when I first started my career but it's definitely something that I've always had this sense of there are options there are other places that I could be Mm. um I've never quit a job without having something else to go to (laughs) so it's it's um (laughs) it's hedging or it's kind of calculated risks um but I've always been able to kind of um 
work towards having those options and being able to explore those options rather than feeling trapped in one place with one manager who hates me. Mm. It's really interesting to hear about your your journey there. Thank you. Um, And then fast forwarding to the future, and obviously there's lots of discussion at the moment about what this this sort of future brave new world is is going to look like post-pandemic once we've found a vaccine whenever that is and everyone's already talking about how it's going to be a much more digitally enabled society uh i'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what role you think tech will play in in this future world and how leaders can prepare for that so i think it, it's um it's an interesting one where even with the pandemic, I think there's so much, I've always said kind of tech is about solving problems and there's so many problems that we have to solve. And I think one of my, one of the things that's upset me the most or frustrated me the most about tech during the pandemic, and and I'm not sure what happens post pandemic, is that, you know, this, the digital divide that we've spoken about for ages, and and you and I have been on lots of kind of panels, roundtables, all this kind of stuff talking about it, has been if not kind of magnified, it's been exacerbated quite a lot by how we've dealt with the pandemic in the now. And so I'm, I'm a little bit anxious about what happens next. So this is something with Stemets that we're looking at quite a lot where, you know, we've, we've taken all of our events digital because doing physically is not safe. Um, and it's frustrated me in that, you know, we're now, we're, we are having to look at sending dongles, sending tablets, sending devices out to particular girls who would have joined what we're doing, but, you know, there's not a spare laptop or a spare whatever at home, or there's not enough 4G for them to join with our Teams call or watch our YouTube live or whatever it might be. And so I think in the future, I think we we have to be very um, intentional about ensuring that, you know, our use of technology is inclusive and is as inclusive as possible and going beyond gender, going beyond ethnicity, looking at class, looking at kind of socioeconomic um, status and ensuring that it's something that everyone can access. And that's aside from, you know, the what your question really meant, which is about the kind of what happens next in the workplace around work if we if we're digitally enabled in this way. So I think I hope we will definitely see more, we'll definitely see flexible working being seen as the norm rather than a kind of PTSD related pandemic um, activity. Um, I'm hoping that um, we'll also be able to see technology um, kind of open up new business models and new ways to run businesses um, in a way that's quite widespread. So this is something recently we've had so we've now got uh, the charity Stemet Futures and we've been talking to trustees about lots of different things. And we had quite a big discussion about photocopiers um, in one of our last board meetings, um, which I've not, I, I think a couple of us didn't recognise what the person was talking about when they said photocopier contract. I don't know what we thought they meant when they said it, but we kind of, the whole idea of having a contract for a photocopier was so alien to us because we never print anything or make any copies of any kind. Um which sounds like still weirdly sounds like such a futuristic thing to do to be entirely digital in the way that we run our business and the paperwork that we sign in the way we distribute things in the way we send contracts up and down and so I think it, it will be I'm hoping to see more of that kind of digitally enabled in the low as well as in the high um but I think we'll definitely see um technology being employed to manage workforces in to a, to a higher extent, and I think the the big thing that we're discussing at the Institute for Future of Work is how do we ensure that if we are digitalizing things that were done manually or were done by human beings beforehand, how do we ensure that we don't make things worse by reinforcing or doubling up on the biases that those human beings had? So this is kind of a discussion that we're going round and round on, which is, you know, it's great to talk about bias and algorithms and and um great to talk about inequality and and uh techn- technological inequality but you know how do we ensure that what we build next doesn't further increase that digital divide increase that gender divide increase that ethnicity divide um and you know is it too ambitious and aim to do better than now um you know i, I joke quite a lot about I don't think it's a joke, but talk quite a lot about the fact that um, the police had those kind of facial recognition vans that they put out kind of towards the beginning of this year in Oxford Street and all these places to pick up 
photos and faces of people and you know there's there's big uproar they shouldn't have done it they've been told about you know how inaccurate it can be and how how much you know it can't tell me from my sister right but could tell um maybe Paul from his brother um and you know we, we then say okay cool but you know it was also in the press that same week that a newspaper had reported and thought that Diane Abbott was Bell Ribeiro Addy, who were both both MPs um, in the House of Commons and kind of couldn't tell them. And then when they were reporting on that, they ended up linking in Kate Osamore, or, you know, th- those kinds of things. Or, you know, the time when um, uh, Kobe Bryant died and LeBron James, footage from LeBron James was used to, to report the story. And I think, you know, we, there's sometimes that we do say technology is not great, but it's like it's human beings that built that. Human beings are still making those mistakes. Um, so I think we also, we have to do better before we can allow our technology to do better. And we have to be better before we can allow our technology to do better. And we have to be better representative for our technology can be more inclusive. So there's lots of work to do, I guess, to ensure that we've got the right future of work rather than algorithms that end up skewing who gets recruited or algorithms that end up messing up shifts of workers, of shift workers based on biases that were there by the person that chose the shifts in the first place. Leaders need to set the bar high on all this stuff, don't they? We need to set the bar high, but we also need to be honest about where we're at at the moment. I I think that goes missing in a lot of these discussions. Um, You know, things aren't equal now. (laughs) They're not great. So should you really build an algorithm based on as is? (laughs) <laughs> exactly I mean I um the like you I'm I'm become even more worried about the digital divide since lockdown began and I I came across this terrifying statistic the other day which is that of the million plus people who got the um shielding text message from governments obviously the subset of of people mm. who you know have quite sort of serious underlying health conditions 25 percent mm. of them didn't right. actually get the text message yeah. I find that absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Absolutely terrifying that they don't have devices or they're not online and they can't get this life or death information. Mm. And that 25% is higher than in the general uh, general population. So I think it's, it's things like that we have to be very vigilant about, super vigilant about. Um, and we're not vigilant enough. That was why that ended up being the case and that's something that's happened that's not uh theoretical that's genuine you know they sent that a couple of weeks ago and and 25 percent of them didn't get the text so what do we do now you know this is a live situation what are we doing how are we using technology to help are we building another covid tracking app that doesn't really solve the problem and creates more issues than it's solving yeah some some really big challenges there and is there anything which you think leaders can specifically do to um you know pose those challenging questions or to make sure that all of this uh innovation happens in the right way um so i think i think this is this goes back to the dni thing i think leaders need to make sure need to understand that you'll have those big cock-ups you'll have those big you'll miss out on those things you'll lose revenue and ethically morally it's the wrong thing to do to have a homogeneous group of people working in your organisations and I'm, I'm saying innovating in air quotes, innovating in your organisation. So it's it's not not true innovation. It's not the right, the right way to do it. Um, and it's causing, it will cause more harm than good. You know, best case, it causes harm for your company because <laughs> then you go bust and that's fine and everyone has to kind of go and regroup. Worst case, it causes issues for society. And, and that's the bit that, that frustrates me and that's what what wakes me up what gets me up every morning um so so what can leaders need to make sure they've got that balance of people need to make sure that you know they know people who have been shielded for example because then you'll know that so and so doesn't respond to text doesn't get text and hasn't had their phone for ages or you're you know there's there's lots of things where actually just having those different perspectives and considering them as you're developing things would mean that you build better and that's what we need from leaders Look for difference so you can build better. Brilliant. Um, and thinking about some of those uh, ethical debates, the debates that you, you talked about just now, uh, and, and particularly around things like AI, um, do you see the tech world itself changing post-crisis? Because there seems to be a bit of 
debate about that in the media at the moment. I really hope so. Um, I think it's possible for the tech world to change. Um, we'll see. I think, um, so I've noticed lots of people doing courses and kind of self-learning. We've just closed the recruitment round actually. And the number of candidates that I'm seeing who have done online courses to kind of train themselves, this is for data science in particular. Um, but the number of people, you know, they've self-taught Python or they've gone and done whatever data course, whatever online. So I think it's definitely this kind of time downtime has allowed people to skill up in a way that we keep talking about actually when we talk about future of work and people need to be able to retrain so i think it's been it's been you know obviously it's a terrible situation but it's been nice as a silver lining to see people being able to take that time to take on new skills and learn things um so i'm hoping that the tech world at least there'll be more people seeing it as something they want to do and having tooled up a little bit to be eligible to, to kind of take part in some of the bigger projects and things that are going on. Um, but I'm definitely seeing lots more kind of hackathons and kind of open initiatives and kind of, you know, pitch an idea. If you've got an idea to help with COVID, let us know. So I think there might be, we might end up having a kind of a new COVID-19 route of people, <laughs> COVID-19 generation in tech, <laughs> of people who want to kind of come in and be a part of it. Um, we'll see, we shall see. But I think as leaders, we need to be ready to employ them and hire them. We need to be ready to say, yeah, it's fine that you didn't do a master's in it. It's okay that you did a course. As long as you can kind of pass these case studies or whatever else that you might be doing, then we're going to take you in. And I think that's the other thing that leaders need to, um, do more than lip service on is where do you hire from so this idea that you know I have a computer science degree so maybe it's easier for me to say this but you know there's no magic in it it's a degree like any other lots of what I did um, has moved on so much now that you know I know first principles and there's lots of other things that I did that are now redundant and you know floppy disks imagine all the brain cells we we use to store knowledge about floppy disks that now is is useless so I think there's a lot of there's a lot where we need to actually look to different types of people with different types of background and we can teach them in the computer science the same way as you can teach someone French and mm-hmm. um, you can teach them digital skills same way as you can teach them any other skills um and who should we be bringing on so that we do have those different perspectives um which I know again the Turing Institute is doing lots of trying to bring social sciences together with computer science um so you can think about the impact of what you're building rather than just thinking about the most efficient way to build it and just bringing us back to um, leadership then. So again, thinking thinking to the future, I mean, do you think we're going to see a permanent shift in, in how leaders lead? I hope so. I hope so. And I think, I think there's so much hype. So, you know, there's the bits about Twitter going fully work from home or you're able to, and then Facebook and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of headlines. Um, you obviously have to wait and see the dust settle, but I, I do really hope that this will allow leaders to A, remember that there's life outside the office, which I think often ends up, it's often a way that people are kind of subtly or inherently penalised for, li- for living a life outside the office, whether that's children, whether that's just a life, you know, it's a, you, know, you must be here all day or you should have been coding until late in the night for us to believe that you're a good coder or whatever else it might be. So I think leaders understanding that and knowing that what they had to deal with at home <laughs> during the pandemic and what other people might be doing, dealing with in terms of caring responsibilities. So I'm, I'm hoping there's that and less, um, less, so less of the kind of presenteeism that we've had of old in kind of certain cultures um, and more of just the understanding that people are different. So if you work different hours and you have different ways of working, you have a different setup or you're um, introverted rather than extroverted, you know, all these things that we kind of assumed and that we needed. Um, I, was, I was talking to someone last week who was saying, it's been really interesting to see how the introverts in their team are thriving so much more, so much more productive now that they don't have to be in the office and talking to other people and how that's, that's you know, done wonders for their productivity. Of course, if you're an extrovert, then it's been the opposite, right? So it says a leader and understanding that people are different um in fact it was a discussion in a board it was a board meeting discussion about working from home and there were kind of the extremes of one person who gave up the lease on their office I think three years ago and have been running their company entirely from home in in the meantime and others who are saying that actually their companies are looking at opening up their offices as kind of meeting spaces so people can still meet colleagues 
because they're missing just meeting their colleagues. Um, so I think as a leader, it's, it's allowing that flexibility and an understanding there'll be difference, which, which you know, hopefully will open up that DNI and i um, uh, statistic and that percentage and that proportion because different people work in different ways. And if you have a system that allows for that, then you're more likely to allow different people to succeed and to thrive in your, in your organization. Um, so let, let's see, we'll see. I'm, I'm mostly optimistic for organizations that this will, this will be a good thing. It's a chance to, to redevelop. I mean, I don't know if you saw, <laughs> there's also the meme that went, um, that went viral talking about kind of what's driven the change in your organization. What's driven, what's driven the use of uh, <laughs> flexible working hours in your organization. It's like strategy, leadership, COVID-19. <laughs> um, so yeah, we've been forced, we've been forced to do it. And, and shout out to, you know, even people, even people with disabilities who've been begging for this for ages, you know, we need to be able to work from home and work flexibly magically overnight all of a sudden the organization that said you couldn't do that has now managed to enforce that for the entire workforce how about that do you think there's a knock-on effect there i think we talked to we 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 talked on another podcast about the knock-on effect for different types of people and you've touched on introverts extroverts um, people with disabilities leaders are going to have to work extra hard to realize that there are people that that need to be seen and won't find it as easy to be seen because they are working remotely, digitally. Um, something There is something about that face-to-face, isn't there? Being with people, having the ability to impress mm. when you can get in front of leadership. Mm. But if you can't do that... Um, How do you manage up? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I'd, I'd argue that it's something that leaders should have been doing this entire time. So mm. it's one of those things, even... so. Um, the other one I talk about quite a lot is kind of promotion. And with a lot of organizations, the way they do promotion panels is someone needs to be put forward by their manager and then needs to be advocated. Um, there are some organizations where the person needs to nominate them themselves and they need to be part of that process. And it's something I've said for a while, you know, what are your, there's got to be more than one way to get to promotion panels. Otherwise you're going to continue promoting the same kind of person who is, is who that process is geared up for. So I think, I think it does tie back into this idea of what's the norm you know, what, if you're assuming that all these people, you know, don't have child, don't have care responsibilities and are able to be there all day and presenteeism is how you're going to manage, how you're going to promote, how you're going to allocate positions of responsibility, how you allocate projects, then so far that has been the reason why you've got a homogeneous group of people working in organisation. And now that you've removed that, you now need to use something different. And there are different ways that you can assess people, you can promote people, you can run your organisation and you as a leader have had to do that now. Um, and it's almost like a don't forget, let's not go back to normal. Let's, you know, this is a new normal and let's embrace that. And I, th- I think there'll be something to be said for leaders that have adapted and have changed through this time versus those who, and we know organisations who have said, yeah, as soon as this is over, we're all coming back to the office. It's all going back to normal. And, and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I don't know that it'll work. I don't know that you'll be able to hire all the best people if you continue to be rigid especially when you have the headlines from Twitter and Facebook saying everyone can work from home and all the rest of it. So what's the biggest thing that you want to keep then? What's the biggest thing from, from lockdown, this situation that you hope people can keep uh, sacred and, and continue forwards with and it doesn't get lost when we return? I really hope, so I really hope, I think that working from home, that proportion of people who are able to regularly work from home actually is that my answer Mm. maybe it's the lack of presenteeism I don't know it's tough because organizations work differently right so not everybody can work from home I don't know flexibility and leadership so I don't know it's a tough question to ask because not everybody's experience has been the same so if you want to suggest something that works for everyone I'm I do know what I'm my answer is going to be this appreciation for for life which I think um (laughs) kind of showed up fairly early on with uh, Weatherspoons. He kind of mm-hmm. said, my people are still going to go to work. And everyone kind of said, well, no, because they're not safe. So I think that would probably be the number one thing that I would like to remain post-pandemic for everyone is this appreciation that actually you, you don't live to work, you work to live. Yeah. And organisations having to plan their workforce around that. 
and the fact that actually we are all at home because as much as we need to make money to move the economy, human beings need to be alive, which I think was getting lost, actually. Absolutely. So I think there's something so interesting there about how the pandemic will have shifted people's expectations. So rather than, you know, we all work from office or we all work from home, um, employees now have, have, have more leverage, don't they? Because they can point to this period in time and say, well, things were done differently and this worked for me or this this didn't work for me um, because of, of these things. Um, so I think that's, that's such a, a brilliant point that you've raised there. And also I think something about how work can no longer be something where it's one size fits all uh it's it's not just this is the way we do things around here i think what what you have really highlighted brilliantly today is that thing of well what does this collective leadership look like in the future Mm, we'll see we have to stay optimistic for how long it stays i think i was initially worried that we'd all try and race back to the the normal I don't know we'll see the shops they just announced the shops are going to open so we'll see how people dislike change so I think there is going to be an initial you know beyond wanting to stay safe there will be an initial running back to what was before because that feels like safety and feels like normality we'll see that's fantastic Anne thank you so much for all these brilliant insights that you've shared today really got us thinking about what uh, a more digital future would look like and what uh, leadership uh, could look like in the future and also some of those big challenges that we're all wrestling with at the moment around inclusion and the digital divide um, and how we can you know raise children who really embrace them for the, the opportunities it will offer so thank you so much it's been brilliant and we've learned a lot thanks for having me great questions Thank Thank you you very much. Thanks very much, Marie. We covered a lot of ground in in that interview, many themes that came out of it. But you wanted to raise something about tech development. Yes, I really like Anne Marie's point about uh, how tech is about solving problems. And at the moment, we've got many problems to solve, as she said. Uh, So I just really loved that point about how digital and and tech and data are absolutely key to the road to recovery and I'm I'm enormously grateful to Anne-Marie for a fantastic interview I think there's so much there we could just talk about it for the next hour but people would probably need a cup of tea sooner than that (laughs) and that led into that point that she made about we live in an unfair society and when we design technology build these algorithms that that sort of you know fuel the technology that we're all consuming that that um that bias, that unfairness can filter through. So the point that she made around facial recognition and black faces not being as recognisable as as white faces because most of the algorithms are designed by white people. It's quite shocking, really. Um, But to finish on a more positive note, I think the the, the brilliant line that she came out with, and I think I need to get in touch with Anne-Marie because I think there are many opportunities for uh, starts at the top T-shirts based on some of her quotes. Um, But you don't live to work, you work to live. And I think if we take one lesson out of the pandemic that we've been living through, I think it would be that. And I think it would be fair to say that, that that's uh, something that has, has been playing on, on a lot of people's minds that, that I talk to. How about you, Zoe? Absolutely. I think this whole issue of work-life balance is is something that's coming back into even sharper focus, given that so, so many of us are on back-to-back Zoom calls and our houses have become our offices. So absolutely, it's very much an an issue which people are and will need to revisit over the the months ahead. Uh, Next week, we've got another episode coming up with a fantastic interview. All that remains to, to be said is please remember to like and leave us a review on on itunes we're hoping by friday we'll be on spotify but not at the time of recording we will let you know uh, when we are um please do uh, tweet us let us know what you make of uh, the interview with Amory this week and what you are going to take away from it what you are going to do differently um because of what you've heard and so people can get in touch with us by email they can indeed at starts at the top podcast at gmail.com that starts at the top podcast at gmail.com and don't forget to follow us on twitter at starts at the top one which is starts at the top and the number one enjoy that cup of tea and have a great evening and thank you to our listeners and we'll see you next time
Can I ask my um, my slightly superfluous questions now? <laughs> you sure can. I've just, just been listening to a lot of podcasts where they ask the guests, and I think it's a great a great thing because I just listen and I write down so much that I just hope that I can keep up with. But for one uh, one read, one listen, and one watch from your uh, from the last few weeks that you would recommend that we all sort of see it, like digital or just in no, life? anything 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 that you've watched on Netflix any books that you've read that you'd recommend or Ooh. any podcasts or, or even music yeah. that you're listening to what's it called the CJ Walker documentary Ooh, what was one. it called on Netflix self-made so watch self-made on Netflix so read Invisible Women if you haven't that's always that will always be my answer. That will be my answer for a while. Zoe's gone to her bookcase, so I think she might be trying she, to... Have you got Invisible Women? <laughs> she's going to grab it. Oh, she's moving around her house. <laughs> Sorry, um, I'm, just, I'm just getting my uh, charger for charger. my laptop. We thought we went to the book. <laughs> Nothing that exciting. But yeah, that book's on my list as well. I've, I've heard so many things about it. You have to read it. It's just, like, honestly, life will be different once you've read it. Oh, I'm, I'm going to say Techish. So Techish is Abadesi and Michael Behane. So it's like a tech podcast. So that I listen to Techish. Uh, that's all three of them, isn't it? Read, yeah. watch, and listen, right? Yeah. Perfect. Oh, do you know the other podcast I'm listening to? But I don't know if I if it like it's a it's a specialist one. It's called Office Ladies. So I love the US Office. Um, and Office Ladies is Pam and Angela, who are best mates in real life now because of The Office, what, re-watching episodes and then like basically saying behind-the-scenes stuff. And I'm so excited because today Scrubs announced, so Zach Braff and Turtle, whose name I can't remember in real life, Donald Faison, um, I've now started a Scrubs equivalent one of Real Friends Fake Doctors, so they're re-watching Scrubs because the first episodes were 20 years ago and they've completely forgotten what happened. No, 20 years ago, really? Yeah, so they're now watching it back from series one. Every week they watch an episode and record a podcast where they talk about behind the scenes and stuff that's happened. And I think both of those are going to occupy a special place in my heart, Office Ladies and Real Friends Fake Doctors. I'm so excited to listen to it. As soon as I finish with you, oh, we'll have to look paper those up later. Fantastic. I'm just, and there's no way that it's going to be less than what I'm hoping it's going to be because it's that Braff and Donald phase in. Like, it's the best thing. It's one of the best announcements during lockdown has been that, actually. I can see the excitement in your face. You can go away and listen to it straight away. <laughs> I'm very so good. I love that show so much. I, I even watched it when they went to university, when they kind of finished and they were the higher-up doctors, I don't know what they're called, but um, yeah, all nine seasons. I watched every episode of all nine seasons of Scrubs. Oh, yeah, it was, it was a really, it was just such a brilliant show, wasn't it? It was so well-written and really, really creative. There's, there's a debate, though, about whether it's aged well. So Friends obviously hasn't aged very well. Mm. Um, and they reckon Scrubs has aged much better, but not 100%. So more than, it's aged better than Friends has, but not perfectly. That's interesting. A lot of the, a lot of the jokes sort of contextual. I don't think I've ever watched it. I need to get Scrubs? into it. You've never watched Scrubs? No. It was, prob- it was probably on some, you know, far-flung channel that I didn't have access to. Channel, something. Like a channel, like channel 5. <laughs> yeah, if you watch Scrubs, if you watch it back, all I'll say is the janitor. Pay attention to the janitor. Oh, yeah, love the janitor in Scrubs. Yeah. My God. My and, hero. And it was weird because he ended up being the dad in Malcolm in the Middle and I could never see him as anything other than yes. the janitor. Yeah. Good point. Yes, I'd forgotten that. Anytime, anyway, the sad thing as well that I realised is Ted died like a, like less than a month ago. Really? Yeah, he's, he died age 56, which I think is really sad. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's the thing. So Ted's dead. Um, and he was actually a musician, so he actually played in a band with lots of other people. Anyway, we're going... This is a big digression. <laughs> But yeah, Ted died last like a month ago. Sam Lloyd. Oh. Yeah. oh. There you go. That's why I asked the question, you see, you get the insight. It might take you off the subject, but you get the insight. <laughs> I love TV. This is the thing. This is probably the first podcast where I haven't ended up talking about how much TV I watch. But um, yeah, I watch a lot of te- I've always watched a lot of television. Mm. That's my like secret. And the, and the thing is, it just gets better and better, doesn't it? But just more and more. I don't know. 
I don't know with that. I don't know. I think there are certain things that are brilliant that come round, but there's a lot of TV that I just don't. I don't. I'm I'm weird though, so I wouldn't watch like a Breaking Bad or anything like that. I don't watch dramas. I only watch comedies. Well, I pretty much only watch comedies. And so, like, there are certain comedies that are just weak but get overhyped because there's nothing else at that. So, like, Big Bang Theory is not that funny. Like, if you ever watched it without a laughter track, it's really not funny. Like, yeah. it's even less funny than it already is. So you've got things like that, which is, like, continuously on Channel 4. Like, I'm pretty sure if I turned on Channel 4 now, one of their channels, the Big Bang Theory, is on. Um, but something like Scrubs or Parks and Recreation... I was say Parks. That, I yeah. mean, Parks was just joyous, wasn't it? That's the thing. That's the reason why it was so good. It was just so well-meaning in yeah. everything. There wasn't any and nastiness. Well done. Yeah. yeah. And there um, was the um, there was a re, uh, there was an episode that they did under lockdown, which I haven't seen yet because it was. You I have not one. seen that one yet. No, I've watched this. So Stafflets Stafflets Flats is probably the most recent thing that I've really really enjoyed. Which I don't know if you've seen, but that was on Channel Four. And I heard that was really good. I haven't seen it, but I heard it was really good. Honestly, there are some, I think probably the, if you're going to, I don't know if you'll get it necessarily because you need a bit of context, but the best episode is, I think it's the first episode of the second season is the best episode of all of them. It's just so funny. Like he, like he's a, he is a, he's a comedy genius. <laughs> they did a lockdown episode. So I've seen that now. Oh, oh. I looked it up. A Parts and Rec lo- lockdown episode. Yeah. And it was on in the States. You can, they put it on YouTube, but you can't, even with a VPN, you I can't get it. it. Yeah, I'm a comedy head. So I only watch things, that, I do only watch things that are funny. So that's why TV wise, you, I then struggle because there's all kinds of comedies, but they're not. And then British comedy is so different from American comedy. Um, yeah. So Afterlife, I think I'm going to try and get into again. But I'm not sure. And then... This country is the other thing that I'm I'm trying to watch back from the beginning. Mm, that's very good, <laughs> very good. I don't I don't think um I yeah I I would I would struggle to class Afterlife season two as as comedy though. It's, really, it gets I I think it gets darker. It, it's yeah it's um I mean there are some brilliant moments but it gets it gets quite quite dark. And, I did. Um, I struggled to watch it. I did. Str- I struggled to watch. The, I don't think I finished the first episode. It was re- funny, but I just, yeah. Like you, you need. I need draw. I need. It needs to be a mostly joyous comedy. Although, like you said, there are laugh out loud moments on that that then bring it back. Mm. I want to enjoy myself. That's why Scrubs yeah. was so great. Scrubs was just so light. Um, and then Arrested <laughs> Development, of course. But I don't know. I've got mixed feelings now about the cast. So sorry, Zoe. No, that's what I was going to say. I found Scrubs really, really life-affirming. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I, I guess, um, I suppose because my um, my parents worked in the NHS, like my dad was a doctor, my mum was a nurse, and I guess I always associate those kind of jobs with doing these, you know, really difficult, challenging things every day. And then just to, my dad always had a bit of a dark sense of humour, and because of that, I... I really like Scrubs. You can kind of see where that comes from as a bit of a coping strategy. Yeah. It's it's funny though, because they did try and do morals across it. But I think if you watch something like, I don't know, Blackish now, like the moral, their morals are kind of very, very light, whereas Blackish is a lot heavier. So it's always interesting because they did do that for like, like people that came in with no insurance or that kind of thing. You would get a sense of, it's not just Turk and... <laughs> Turk, not turtle. Why did I call him turtle earlier? It's not just turtle and JD like mucking around like that. He's actually a surgeon. This person actually had something wrong with them, and that person genuinely died. Um. So yeah, no, it was a good show. I'm, I'm genuinely excited to watch about the podcast. But I think I'm gonna be. I think I'm gonna try and be better reading, watching this, listening to this back. Because with the office, I just listened to it as I was driving. Whereas I feel like I need to get a notebook and sit and listen to the podcast as I'm watching the show and properly study it. So I think that's what I might do. <laughs> Every... like, the, um, <laughs> like director's commentaries on Blu-rays. Yeah, I haven't watched is. one of those for ages. Like the time in the day that I ha- used to have as a as you know as a that's younger a man. <laughs> well, we've got it under lockdown now. I did. I, I think a direct, I think I'd have preferred a director's cut though. So that's the, that's the only thing about that's annoying about these podcasts is 
you can't watch. You, I don't think it's possible to watch and listen to the podcast kind of together because they jump about so much in the episode and give you kind of random trivia. So it makes it, it does make it quite hard to follow along. So you almost have to watch the podcast, watch the show and then watch the podcast and listen to the podcast, watch the show and then listen to the podcast again to fully understand what's been said. Who knows? Yeah, but that's it. That's my evening. So once I finish the CV reviewing, that's what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> um, and just before you go, Anne-Marie, Paul, do you want to run our um, draft podcast title uh, past Anne-Marie? Oh, yeah. So so we've we've done a few of these now and what we hadn't nailed down was the, the name. Um, and because we were focusing more or we sort of moved more towards leadership than just purely digital, we were thinking of It Starts at the Top. Okay. <laughs> Not It Rots from the Head. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Well, we'll add that as the subtitle. Yeah. <laughs> A nice version. A nice version of it starts from the top. But no, I like that. Yeah, yeah, but no, we'll I like that. that. It starts from the top because it does. That's the point, isn't it, really? And there'll be many arguments about, yeah, rots from size. You need it, you need everything to come up from the bottom, but the beginning and the end no, of it is if it doesn't okay. work at the top, it's exactly it's then dead. it's not gonna work anywhere, really. Yeah. So you're the leader, you're leading from the from the front. So yeah. No, I like that. It's a good title. No, I enjoyed it. Good. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Anne Marie.